Welcome to Getting Common with Professor Carlos Chapman. Getting Common covers a variety of topics and features guests from business, law, politics, government, education, and some of the most insightful entrepreneurs. It's a refreshing common sense approach to some of the most important discussion points today. Now, here is your host, Carlos Chapman. Hello everyone, I'm Carlos Chapman and I'm your host of Getting Common. In my day job, I'm an associate professor at Washington and Lee, where I teach business law, corporate ethics, corporate governance, an M&A practicum, and contracts. This episode, we are going to be talking about Elon Musk and his tweeting. The name of the episode is Why Should Elon Musk Stop Tweeting? And with my guests, we're going to be discussing what securities regulations are about, why it matters when a super famous person sends out tweets if he's you know, the owner and director of a company. And I've got some great guests for you who are experts in the field who can break it all down. So I will let them introduce themselves. First, starting with Kathy. Hi, so thank you so much for having me. This is so fun and um, I like being able to hang out with two of my favorite people. So I'm Kathy Wong. I'm a law professor at the University of Virginia where I teach and write about corporate law. Um, like Carlos, I also have a casebook, which is like a law textbook um, coming out on the law of corporations. Mine is co-authored with Paolo Saguato. And let me just say that Elon Musk provides a lot of really good fodder for my class and for the book. So I'm really grateful to him. Um, before becoming a law professor, I was a mergers and acquisitions attorney at Skadden Arps in New York, where I also met Ben, actually. Hello. Uh, well, I'll, I'll pick it up. Uh, I'm a law professor at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, uh, William S. Boyd School of Law. Uh, I teach uh, business associations, securities regulation, uh, securities litigation courses. Uh, I will sometimes run a, a law clinic uh, focused on retail investor protection uh, and do other stuff in the, the financial uh, services space. Uh, I, I do not yet uh, have a case book. Um, we'll see whether or not I ever end up with one. So, uh, but congratulations to both of you uh, for writing the books that the next generation will read. Well, and Ben, you shouldn't say, you shouldn't speak too soon because I could totally bring you in on a securities book. So um, uh, we may need to talk offline about that because, you know, Karen and I have been supposed to be writing a, a securities case book for years that we just can't get our hands on. So uh, maybe it'll be like Chapman, Woody and uh, Edwards as the case book. That could work. That could work. Yeah. All right. So the first thing I want to talk about is why does it matter? Like, why do the tweets of a corporate executive matter? And so, Ben, you're always my go-to person on securities and the SEC, because even though I teach SecReg, I find that you are always more up to speed on it, mainly because of your clinic and other things. Like, you're way more in the weeds. So, like, why does it matter to the SEC when a random guy like Elon Musk tweets as a public stunt? Oh, of course. Um, so, so Elon Musk is, you know, he's a random guy, but he's, he's also the, the CEO of a, of a publicly traded company. Uh, so there are millions of Tesla shares uh, on the market. And at every moment uh, that the shares are actively trading, investors are trying to decide whether they should buy the shares, sell the shares, if they want to hold on to them. And the kind of information uh, that the CEO puts out into the world uh, has a real impact uh, on how investors make those decisions. Uh, so the SEC has always been uh, very focused on how companies speak to the public about what's going on with the company. 
Uh, so it's not just Twitter where this is a concern. Uh, it's, it's all of social media. Uh, there's a I say there's a relatively famous, and I say famous in, in the narrow world of securities law uh, professors. Uh, you know, example from Facebook. Um, you know, a few years ago, um, Netflix uh, put out a Facebook post saying that they had just crossed over, uh, you know, a billion hours uh, of viewing, uh, and the SEC sent them a notice saying that they were going to investigate. Uh, that why are they telling this to the public through Facebook? instead of through the disclosure system uh, that's, you know, set up for, for public companies. Uh, and so, uh, so that's, that's really, uh, it's been a long time concern for the SEC about how information is, is shared. And, and just to sort of close the loop on Netflix, um, that, that enforcement proceeding didn't really go anywhere uh, because there's nothing, and we'll, we'll talk a lot more about this later, I'm sure, uh, really material about crossing from, uh, you know, 1 billion hours minus one to 1 billion hours you know, it, it wasn't wasn't that big of a deal. But generally speaking, the SEC is is you know, keeping an eye on how companies are speaking to the public uh, about what's going on. All right, now Kathy, when the SEC cares about something, when they care about the information that that Ben is talking about, what do they do about it? What can they do about it? Yeah. So, I mean, there are so many things and so many of them are scary, right? So as a baseline, I would say the SEC cares a lot about various types of information getting out to investors, right? So that's why they have this disclosure system, which we'll talk a little bit more about later with the 8K. Um, so theoretically, you're just supposed to, if you're following the rules, you're filing an annual disclosure, you're filing quarterly disclosures, you're filing current disclosures, anytime something kind of big happens, you know, outside of the quarter or annual setting. Um, and that's supposed to get information out to your investors. And if you're doing it right, you're, you know, things are good. But if you are not doing things um, the way you're supposed to, lots of scary, scary things can happen. And um, to that end, I think we can look to, you know, two, I guess I would uh, call them documentary television shows, uh, Succession and Arrested Development. So um, in Succession, if you're, a, if you're a Succession fan, you'll know that we're on season three. And in season three, a big thing that's happening right now is that um, the company is being investi investigated by the Department of Justice. And the government, through bodies like the SEC or DOJ, can investigate when things look fishy or things are not happening that they, the way they want them to. Um, and if you follow the show, you'll also see that there's kind of a really realistic aspect of that is that even just an investigation is going to consume a lot of like the C-suite's time, energy, and resources just to deal with it, right? So you're producing documents, you're you know, flying people across the country to like talk to the regulators. They start to get, you know, ability to look at your, like your books and records. Like, you know, it's just a disruptive thing that um, distracts your leadership from doing things like making money, for instance, um, which is presumably what you want them to do. And then some of the worst things that can happen is that the SEC can freeze the company's assets um, and or, or fine the company or charge the alleged wrongdoers with fraud. And when I say charge the alleged wrongdoers with fraud, we're talking about criminal charges. So people could go to jail. So here I'm calling on your knowledge from a few years ago. If you watched Arrested Development, this literally happens in the first episode of the series. So the family that runs the company, they're on a party, they're on a yacht, they're having a party, they're, you know, living that yacht life. And the SEC's boats come and they arrest the dad, they disrupt the party, and they freeze the family's assets. 
Um, and one of my favorite lines from the show actually happens when the family says like, wait, the SEC has boats now. And that's where I would say that fact departs from fiction. Um, I don't, to my knowledge, I don't think the SEC has boats, but they can disrupt your fancy yacht party, arrest the, the patriarch, freeze the family's assets, um, leaving you with only the banana stand and, you know, bad things can happen. And, and there's cash in the can. banana stand though. There's cash in the banana stand. There, there is cash in the banana stand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I think the SEC gets its boats uh, from the Department of Justice, which has lots of boats. Uh, it doesn't usually have, uh, you know, as far as I can tell, a criminal jurisdiction. Uh, it's normally a civil jurisdiction. But when they send something over uh, to the Department of Justice, uh, they're the ones who, uh, who, who bring the fraud prosecution. So they work very closely together. Uh, and so you'll, also, you'll see, you know, SEC lawyers working with DOJ lawyers. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think the SEC has any boats. Uh, Where are my boats? It seems like everyone has boats. The DEA also has boats, right? Like there's, we should like make a list. That's an episode, like which government agencies have boats. I would have thought they would have just borrowed the Coast Guard's boats. That too. You would think, you would think. Yeah, but that's that big, that's that big government redundancy, right? Like why do so many agencies? Everyone has boats. We're, I just, I'm very upset about this. I mean, we could just reorganize the federal government again to create a, a department of federal boats uh, yes. and then all agencies that need to use a boat could just access the boat through you know, a single uh, boat coordinating agency. Like, yeah, like a fleet, like, you know, like when you were a kid, you probably had to like share a boat, but sure. Sorry to share a car <laughs> with your sister. You know, you just talk to your parents and you're like, I I'm driving the Corolla today. This, this could be my next law review article. Uh, um, or it could be a campaign platform. Um, where to put the government's know. boats. Yes, yes. We're going to streamline government by eliminating some boats. Streamline, I see what you did there. <laughs> yes. Like, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying. If that's the only way I can run for office, right? I got to like talk about budgets because, you know, I don't know that I survive a background check. But <laughs> on to uh, Elon Musk and the tweeting. So Elon tweeted, and I actually closed my Outlook, um, or I closed my uh, browser, but um, he sent this tweet a couple of years ago. Um, it was on, was it on April 20th? Uh, the taking the company private? Yes, the taking oh, the yeah. company private tweet. So Elon Musk sends this tweet while he is indulging in some substances with his girlfriend, Poss possibly with, uh, was someone locked in the house at the time? I can't remember. But he says, thinking of taking Tesla private at 4420. And then the 420 is apparently a joke because that's that's below the value of Tesla, but he was making a marijuana joke. And then the follow-up tweet was, you know, shareholders would have the option of taking cash or stock and staying in. Thread goes crazy. People are commenting back and forth. He claims he's already got investors. The GC's office of Tesla has no idea what he's saying. So when they reach out to the GC's office and other people at Tesla, they're like, we don't know what you're talking about. And it turns out he's just having some fun, having a joke, right? So the SEC slapped his hand and punished him. How can he still be tweeting, right? Like if this is market manipulation, um, which we'll define later, and He's just making a joke about the stock price. And we've talked about how that's a bad thing. How is it possible that he's still able to keep tweeting and still keep being in charge of Tesla? Like, why didn't anything happen to him? 
So I I was going to say, I'll say the easy stuff and then leave Ben, the securities expert to follow up with the more, the challenging stuff. So I would say like, um, I mean, he's gotten in trouble before, right? So a few years ago, he got in trouble. Well, actually, it was no, it was this exact incident where he gets in trouble, um, and the SEC investigates him, and they settled, and um, it was like Musk and Tesla had to pay millions of dollars in penalties. Musk had to give up being chairman of the company for a certain period of time, and then this is the most interesting part: the company agreed to get someone to like supervise his tweets. Um, that person, I mean, can you imagine like, like what does that person's LinkedIn look like? Like I'm a, <laughs> the supervisor of Elon Musk's tweets. So, I mean, my, I, I think he's gotten in trouble with it before. Um, he's gotten penalized for it. The company's gotten penalized. I mean, my personal view is kind of like when you're dealing with someone whose net worth is now as of like yesterday, over $300 billion, it's really hard to motivate, like it's really hard to motivate him through fines, right? Like you find him $20 million, but he has $3 billion. Like that's like, you know, that's just one of his boats that he's selling maybe like <laughs> half of a boat. Right. Like, you know, like when I was in college, I used to calculate, like we had this joke where we would calculate the cost of things by chicken soft tacos from Del Taco. Right. It would be like this, like a Chipotle burrito is worth four chicken soft tacos. Like for him, it's like $20 million is worth half a boat. So what does he care? Yeah. So, um, so, so this, so this tweet, uh, from a few years ago where he says, um, you know, we're going to go private at $420 a share funding secured. Uh, so that's, that's well below, uh, Tesla's stock price today. Uh, at the time, uh, Tesla was trading, I think in the three hundreds, uh, and there was a lot of, uh, what we call short interest, uh, in the stock. Uh, so there were, you know, a lot of people who thought, uh, that Elon Musk had a, a real big mouth, uh, but that he wouldn't be able to deliver uh, on schedule uh, like he was promising people that he was going to be able to do. Uh, and so their 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 prediction uh, was that Tesla as a company uh, probably would not do uh, all that well, uh, and that you know the, the stock price would not uh, reach anything like what it's what it's reached today. Um, and so they were betting against, uh, the company, and um, the way that works. Uh, is you know you you can imagine it like um, you know if if Carlos has a, a share of stock uh, and I want to bet against the company but I don't own any stock, uh, what I'll do is I'll I'll borrow uh, a share of stock from her. So if I reach over, you know, take the share of stock, which is this pen cap, I borrow it from her and then I'll sell it and maybe I'll sell it to to Kathy uh, or or somebody else. Now if the stock's at three hundred, when I sell the share that that I borrowed, I have three hundred dollars. And that's great. I have $300. Um, if the stock goes down, I can buy it back. Uh, then I have the share and then I can return the borrowed share uh, to Kathy or to, to Carlos. So I, you know, I sold it to Kathy, borrowed it from Carlos. Now, if the stock price has gone to 250, you know, I've done this you know, bet against the company. When I, when I give the share back, uh, I've made 50 bucks uh, by the company's stock going down. And that's, that's wonderful for me. Now, what I can't do um, is say I borrow the share uh, when it's at $300 a share next. I think it's going to go to 200, 250. And then Elon Musk comes out uh, and says that funding has been secured. The company is going to be going private at $420 a share. Now, what this says to ordinary people uh, is, you know, if, if I buy a share of Tesla at 300, 
uh, when the company goes private, they're going to give me $400 or $420 for my share. Um, so this happens in, in M&A deals all the time. Um, you know, once the deal is announced, the stock price shoots up uh, to the deal price uh, because it's a, you know, usually a pretty good bet that unless the deal falls through, that's the amount of money you're going to get. Now, so, uh, so I borrowed the share. Imagine I borrowed the share. I've shorted the company. Uh, what's really dangerous uh, about this is I can lose an infinite amount of money uh, depending on how high the stock price goes. Uh, so if I borrowed three hundred you know dollars a share, uh, and you know I've, I've got three hundred dollars now, the stock is at at four twenty. If I'm going to give Carlos her share back, I have to for you know come up with another like one hundred twenty dollars uh, per share I've done this transaction with in order uh, to close the trade. Uh, and so I'm I'm going to lose one hundred twenty dollars for every share I've shorted um, if I close the trade. Uh, now, why would I close the trade? Uh, because if the company goes private and I've got to settle this out, I'm still losing all the money. But the other big reason uh, why I'm going to close the trade is because I borrowed money from Kathy uh, in order to do this trade. Uh, you know, she's running my account and you know says, uh, you know, Ben, uh, if you can't pay me all the money you owe me, uh, I'm going to shut your account down and I'm going to take your house. Uh, or your car, or what else I can do. I'm going to take you to FINRA arbitration and sue you uh, for all the money uh, you have uh, to make up for the amount of money you're losing on this Tesla short. Um, so, so that dynamic is, is what was going on with that tweet. So there are an enormous number of people uh, who lost you know, huge chunks of money, uh, margin calls. Uh, you know, They're forced to sell other holdings in order to, to deal with it. So it was enormously uh, you know, disruptive. Um, and it, it drove the, the stock price up uh, you know, for a period of time, enough time to, to really hurt a lot of the people who were shorting the company and force them to take those bets away. Um, so, uh, so the SEC uh, obviously is very, very concerned about this. Uh, and you know, he, has, he has something of a defense in that you know, it's $420 a share. That's, that's clearly a, a, you know, a marijuana reference. Uh, the... But the, the, hard, the hard thing is, you know, how, do you, how do you punish uh, Elon Musk uh, you know, for that? The SEC normally has you know, just sort of civil uh, jurisdiction. And so the, the ultimate settlement that came out um, you know, from the enforcement proceeding was, uh, was $40 million. I think it was $20 million from Tesla, uh, $20 million from Elon Musk. Uh, and it, it was, you know, and, and it, part of the, the deal uh, with the settlement uh, was that, you know, they would supervise his tweets. Uh, and in the future, uh, hopefully something like this won't happen. Now, is what he did really bad? Yes. Uh, is Tesla still likely facing a lot of liability arising out of that? I think so. I think there's a bunch of private securities litigation ongoing uh, you know, from that debacle. Um, all the people who lost money because of that, uh, that 420 statement, um, they're going to sue. Uh, they're going to be represented in a class action. And Tesla is going to have to defend that. It's a giant, giant mess. For the company, I didn't look up uh, where that litigation is right now, but it wouldn't surprise me if that's still dragging on. Um, so huge, huge, toxic overhang for the company. So here's what's interesting about you know him claiming. Well, you know it brings up first year contracts, right? Like if it's a joke, you need to objectively have everyone know it's a joke. 
And if, <laughs> if it's only a subjective joke in your head, then it's not a joke, right? So basic first year contracts there. But, you know, for him to claim it's a joke when we all know Elon Musk hates that people short Tesla, because Tesla's right. never actually made a profit, right? Like Tesla's profits are all fake, which, you know, that's a that's a short way of saying it. But, um, you know, Tesla's never made a true like on the books profit. So people short it all the time and he hates hates short sellers. So, you know, it's kind of hard to believe you when you say it's a joke when we know you hate these people and it drives you crazy when people short your stock. There's that part. Um, you know, the part about his tweets being monitored, you know, he tweeted this year a poll asking whether he should sell Tesla stock. Um, the poll said so that he could pay taxes because, you know, Elizabeth Warren and everyone else is coming after billionaires for not paying taxes. Uh, the poll said that he should. Uh, in the meanwhile, the Tesla stock is dropping because everyone thinks Elon Musk is going to sell his shares. Then when it comes out that he actually does sell shares, you know, several of the articles I have seen, I think he said he was going to sell, what, 10 billion, 20 billion. I can't remember how many billions of his shares. It turned out he already had a sale of 1.3 on the books before he ever put out the tweet asking for a poll. So he was already planning to liquidate some shares, but he does this publicity stunt, you know, and the two things I'm wondering is, where's this person with the horrible LinkedIn profile, as Kathy said, who's supposed to be reading Elon Musk's tweets and monitoring his tweets. Like this person did not stop this poll. And like, how is he still tweeting things that move Tesla stock price that are half truths if this SEC enforcement has any teeth? Like how? What are your thoughts, Kathy? Or a bit? I, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know where this person is, probably on their boat as everyone else is. I mean, I, I genuinely don't know, right? Like it, when I remember when the settlement came out, I thought literally, literally they would hand like the password for Elon Musk's tw like Twitter to somebody else, like, you know, Ben, for instance, and like Elon would say, I want to tweet a poll. And Ben would be like, well, let's not run it past legal first. So what, what's the poll about? Like, if it's about which color socks you want to wear, that's okay. But like, if it's about whether to sell stock, that's, we gotta, gotta talk about that. But it doesn't, it does not appear to me like the supervision is not evident to me. Um, but maybe, maybe it's stopping us from seeing some of the other things. Um, I would say like, with regard to your joke idea, like when I read the, the poll and I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and readily admit that I participated in the poll and I voted yes. And that's because I'm a sociopath who just likes to stir the pot and watch it go boom. Um, and um, I just wanted to see what would happen. And so I voted on it and you know, I, I don't know, like, I'm, I, I don't know where the person is. I thought it was a joke. I was surprised that it was not a joke and he did it. And I think I'm like a reasonably sophisticated person in terms of being able to tell whether things are jokes or not. I also voted on the poll. I voted yes. I also drive a Tesla. Like, you know. Did I, you I'm, think it was a joke? I totally thought it was a joke. And I think I'm a reasonable person. Yeah. <laughs> under, yeah, under the law. Like, a reasonable investor, right? Like, yes. Ben, did you think yeah. it was a joke? Did you vote? Did you vote, Ben? I voted. I voted. Uh, I, think, I think I voted yes, because, I mean, you should pay some taxes. Uh, and, you know, we, we have things we need to do, like fix our bridges. And buy so, boats. Yeah. <laughs> or plow the streets of Virginia. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think the street has been plowed yet. Yeah. 
Well, and you know, Kathy and I both live in Charlottesville and, you know, we're recording this early. So people have been stuck on I-95 for like 22 hours and my power keeps going out in my house in Charlottesville uh, after a single snowstorm. So, you know, I would like Elon Musk to pay some taxes so I could have some infrastructure. Yeah. Well, well, here in sunny Las Vegas, uh, you know, we're <laughs> just keeping an eye on this, uh, on. what's happening on the other side of the country. <laughs> So, uh, so I want I wanted to circle back to uh, to Elon Musk's uh, your know, Twitter nanny, uh, you know the the idea that there's someone who's going to be watching uh, you know what he's he's tweeting. Um, there's actually an ongoing case about that right now uh, in Delaware. Uh, one of Tesla's stockholders uh, has filed a lawsuit uh, under state corporate law to say, um, you know, we believe uh, that we you, I, I don't believe that Tesla is complying with this settlement. Uh, that it has with the SEC, uh, and that's causing damage uh, to shareholders. Uh, and so how far that case gets, uh, we'll, we'll have to watch uh, to see, but we may get more information about what, what kind of monitoring process, if any, uh, is actually in place. Um, you know, my, my view is uh, that you know, a lot of his tweets uh, that other people probably wouldn't have allowed, uh, if I were the person who was tasked with monitoring, uh, I probably would have said, fine, go ahead. Uh, you know, one of these, let me give you one of these that I think is kind of a boundary case um, and get your opinion on it. Uh, you know, he tweeted um, at some point when the stock was very high, uh, he tweeted that uh, he thought the stock price was too high, uh, that Tesla's price was too high. Uh, and so I know some, uh, some, some Tesla stockholders uh, who follow the company uh, and are very interested in this. So we, we, were, we were talking about it uh, over the holiday break uh, and they were upset uh, because they bought Tesla and they want the stock to keep going up. And so if he says the stock price is too high, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's a problem for them uh, because that means, you know, maybe other people aren't going to buy the stock and they're not going to make as much money. And they don't think he should be able to do that as the CEO. And they were upset about it um, because that could possibly cost them some money. Um, and so, so I was thinking about it, and, um, and I asked him, I said, so what do you think, what if a CEO of a, of a public company says, um, you, know, our, you know, the market doesn't uh, value our stock uh, as much as it should? Um, so, so it'd be an expression of opinion that the stock price is too low, uh, and that the market should put more value on, on the company. Now, I think, is everybody okay with that? Does that seem fine? So here's the difference to me. Um, I expect everyone to say their stock is too low. Yeah. I don't expect anyone to say their stock is too high. So if we use a reasonable investor standard, if a CEO is saying our stock is overvalued, I take that to be an honest statement and not puffery. But if you say, if I say my stock is too low, well, everyone says their stock is too low. Everyone says, you know, what I do and what I say is more valuable than what you're paying me. Right. So it's, it's the, you know, if, if we go reasonable person, right, I think everyone who says too low is lying. But I think everyone who says too high is telling the truth, because why would you tell me your stock is overpriced? Maybe he's oh. just a really honest guy, Carlos, <laughs> a man of the people. I, I don't, I don't, those, do, do those exist? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I've taught a lot of corporate law. Don't see many honest guys. Don't, don't see many. They, they usually don't yeah. show up in the cases. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they're much less yeah. fun. But yes, but they're everywhere, I'm sure. Just Are they? <laughs> so, I, so it's it's hard for me to say. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the opposite side. Uh, you know, it's 
it's an opinion statement. Uh, and so if, if he, if he believes it um, and he's telling the truth and you assume he's telling the truth, uh, you think it's you know, material, uh, but you know, it, it, it doesn't say anything about the company. It doesn't say um, that, you know, production is going to be delayed. It doesn't say, um, you know, that we're going to release the cyber truck on X date. Uh, it, so, so if I were supervising him, I might let that one go. I wouldn't like it. I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, but I don't know that it's fraud. Uh, I don't know that um, bad expression of opinion. Uh, I, and I don't know that the SEC would necessarily want to act on that particular statement. Um, you know, if you're going to, you're going to pick a fight, you know, that's, is it, is it, is it not a good look? Yes. Uh, is it, is it strange behavior? Absolutely. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure that I would go after it though. Well, and I think, you know, materiality has its context, knowing that Elon Musk fights short sellers all the time. Of course, he's going to say a stock is too high, you know, like he's going to say things about his stock price on a regular basis. And, and, I, and the hard thing is when he speaks, the market moves. And so even like if you have a Twitter nanny, you know, it's kind of like if you have a compliance program, it actually needs to be a compliance program. If you've got a Twitter nanny, is the Twitter, what is the Twitter nanny doing? Like, it's like the Twitter nanny is just sitting him in front of the computer and letting him tweet. So one question I have is like, does like, I mean, I, if he crawls too close to like a hot stove, that's where you want, uh, you know, the nanny to get in and grab I and mean, pull him away. Uh, you know, just making a mess uh, generally. I, don't know. I mean, a corporate monitor, I should say, not Twitter nanny. <laughs> uh, so. so, I mean, do we think that like, so like when I think about like, like, you know, we're talking about like, you know, we all know that like he hates short sellers. We all know that 420 is a joke about, you know, about his substance usage or whatever. Like, this is all obvious. We know that he does like, do we think a regular reasonable investor does? Like, I know like Ben, I know you've written a bunch about retail investors and sure we don't have that many retail, you know, cute grannies putting her, you know, social security check in into Tesla or whatever. But like, you know, I'm just thinking about like what a reasonable investor looks like. And does the reasonable investor really know all of this about Elon Musk? Like when we teach corporations, all of our students are smart and probably would count as a reasonable investor. And I don't think they all know that. So, so that so this is uh, this is a great point to probably talk about what it means for information to be material. Yeah. Um, and there's a, there's a three part test uh, that courts use, uh, and it, it's it's asking whether or not a reasonable investor would consider the information uh, to significantly alter uh, the total mix of information. Uh, and so, so if you if you say um, you know, we have uh, 2 million uh, employees and uh, the truth comes out and you have 2 million and one employees, you know, the reasonable investor, you know, most people I would think are, are going to look at that and say that, you know, that, that it's 2 million and one instead of 2 million. Um, that's not that big a deal. It doesn't really change the picture uh, about the company in any real significant way. So it's probably not material. And um, that's usually the test. So when, when it comes to like, what is, so th this reasonable investor standard, a reasonable person standard inside uh, the materiality definition is really, really a mess. Uh, because what does it mean? Uh, what, it, what, is a, what does a reasonable investor care about? Uh, you know, what are they, what are they focused on? Uh, and, 
that's there's a there's a lot of subjectivity I think that goes into that, and a lot of times, um, you know, the, that standard uh, has been a way for courts to um, just sort of substitute their own opinions uh, for what people would care about. Um, I can I can tell you I had um, I had one. Um, one investor called me one time uh, and he'd invested in a company and the deal uh, he'd received uh, from them was that if he invested another $500, uh, they would give him a, a Yeti Rambler. Um, and if you're not familiar with the Yeti Rambler, let me show it to you. It is it's a very beautiful. Nice, a nice cup. Yeah. Lovely cup. It is vacuum sealed. So if you get water at night and you put some ice in it in the morning, no lid, no lid, the ice will still be in there. Uh, it's a fantastic, well-insulated cup. Anyway, they didn't send him the Rambler after he invested another $500. And the man was hot. Uh, he wanted to sue. Uh, and I told him I understood that I am the proud owner of a Yeti Rambler. And I love that thing. And it's great. Um, you know, it's, it's what he cared about more than anything else was not the financial returns on the investment, but whether or not they would send him a Yeti Rambler. So is this, uh, is this being it, sponsored by Yeti Rambler? Did I just not get the notes? It is not, but it, it is not. Today's podcast be. is brought to you. I, I know. I should totally reach Yeti. out to Yeti and let them know that we just gave them a, a good commercial. Um, and actually one of their alums, one of our alums at WNL is like their GC. Um, and they're a great Texas company. So there's my Yeti commercial that was not paid for. Uh, but, but, we should at you know, least get Yeti Ramblers out of this. We should. Yeah. I'm, I'm totally going to send them this clip and, and talk, talk to them about it. So, so here's what's interesting to me about that, though. Like, you know, I don't believe in reasonable people or rational people. Um, you know, I think they're just fictions all over the law. But we got to have some way of like setting a norm. And I would love for someone to do an empirical study, like comparing like the release of an 8K or the release of a 10K to what's said in the tweet about the 8K or 10K, because I, I guarantee you, even just like with the Facebook Roadshow, like I teach Facebook Road, I, I teach Facebook's IPO when I teach Secreg, um, and we compare that like cultish Roadshow video. Like I make students watch it, or sometimes we have a showing of it. We compare that cultish Roadshow video to what's actually in the filings, and every year, like that's when students' minds are blown. But like, why did we all go by? Well, oh, I didn't do it. But why did so many people go by Facebook stock? Because of that crazy roadshow video that looks like a cult initiation that, you know, that had a bunch of disclaimers in it, but still people were like, oh, I want to own Facebook, you know? And so I would love to like have an empirical comparison because nobody I know who is not a law professor, I get in fights on Twitter with people all the time about like facts that are in 8Ks and 10Ks. And I have people tell me I'm a liar, uh, lay people. And I'm like, it's in, like, here's the link to the SEC website and someone will follow up with, oh no, but so-and-so tweeted that. And if that's the case, you know, I think what the reasonable person is doing is reading Twitter, reading social media, doesn't even know the SEC website exists, jumping on whatever, you know, platform they, they're getting and trading because of what Elon Musk or, like, look at Dogecoin. Dogecoin exists because of tweets. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. And so, also so there's, there's this standard of reasonable investor and courts have been issuing uh, rulings and applying this standard, but it's not informed by, you know, any study of human beings. Uh, you know, it's, it's this fantasy version uh, of a person 
um, you, most humans um, don't act uh, like the, the ways reasonable investors are described uh, to be acting you know, with prudence and judgment and, uh, you know, doing their research. Um, you know, it's, it's really, um, it, it's sort, it's, it's, it, it, it's, it sort of fills in uh, for, uh, in my mind, what, what we want to hold companies accountable for. Uh, that you know, if if someone had you know looked at the SEC filings, would they have known uh, that this was not uh, true, or this version of of things was not totally accurate, or this risk was actually out there? Um, then you know it it seems uh, you know the, they're not going to get in trouble for it. Um, but you know most of the disclosures uh, I think that public companies make um, usually they're you know some people some rare people will read them uh, before investing. A lot of times they're read very closely after the stock price goes down uh, to look for a way to sue. Now, we've talked a lot about market manipulation, just kind of alluding to it. Um, and we've mentioned, we talked about materiality, we talked about market manipulation and the reasonable person. Like, what is actionable market manipulation? Uh, Kathy, do you want to take it? Ben, do you want to take it? Ben, go for it. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, so, so market manipulation, uh, and I, I probably should have reviewed this more closely beforehand, but it's, essentially it's why I'm pointing sort of to you, Ben. The boundaries of fraud. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the SEC is usually most interested, uh, you know, in in some sort of false statement. Uh, so market manipulation, you could think about it as, as you know, trying to use some sort of unfair or improper means uh, to manipulate the stock price. Uh, you know, some, you know, one one way you could think about it is if you launch some kind of coordinated campaign uh, unrelated, uh, you know, to the merits of the company, uh, you know, to drive uh, the stock price down uh, of a particular company, uh, just, just for your personal profit. Um, you know, that sort of thing, like a pump and dump scheme um, would be market manipulation. Um, so those, those sorts of actions. Um, so sim simply, you know, wanting and attempting to make the stock price go up, um, as, as long as the, the methods that are being used are you know, reasonably um, fair, uh, and the, the statements that are being made are not outright lies. Uh, it's you know it's hard to say that uh, it's market manipulation. So it's 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 it is an underdeveloped uh, area, I think. Right, and and you know the reason I ask what is market manipulation is because you know that's what gets people in the most trouble, right? So we've got our like landmark Enron, WorldCom, which my students are not all too young to know what. They are and horrifying. Which then makes I know, which makes me want to like drink bleach for dinner. But um, you know, we've got our big market manipulation like kind of signposts. You know, the SNL scandal from the '80s and like these big signposts, which are red flag market manipulation. But obviously, stuff happens incrementally to get to that point that ends up not being actionable. You know, at the SEC, barring someone like failing to file a report or something else that's more obvious you know, we can drop a $40 million fine on a billionaire, but eh, what does that do, right? Like there isn't much we can really do until we get to that big red flag sign, you know, moment. Um, and so it's always interesting to me that I'm like, what are we all, you know, I have these existential moments of why do we do this and what are we doing? <laughs> you know? Like, you know, us as in me, Ben and Kathy, people who obsess about what cor corporations are doing all the time, uh, because they're just, you know, there doesn't feel like there's a lot of teeth in any of the enforcement uh, because the big moment is the market manipulation moment and the stuff that happens before then 
not so much. Now, I don't know if people know this. I learned this in doing my own research and putting Tesla into papers and then getting going down this rabbit hole of being obsessed with Tesla. But a few years ago, Tesla released an AK that said they would release material information via Twitter. So information that would normally go into an AK could be released on Twitter first, or a tweet could be a material thing, right? Like we could tweet something and we want you to take that as material information about our company. So Kathy, first, what's the AK? Because we've been throwing around the, the terms. And then like, tell me what you think about, you know, why they might do that. Yeah. So, I mean, so earlier we talked about how like companies release information periodically, right? So, I mean, this kind of goes back to the difference between public companies and private companies, which I know you talked on a, about on a previous episode. So when a company is public, it tends to have a large number of dispersed shareholders. Um, and that just means, you know, it has tons of shareholders and it's their shareholders are no longer just like your mom and your sister. And so the, the SEC is worried about big information that the company has going on, getting out to those dispersed shareholders. So there's a securities disclosure system in place that that you know requires public companies to broadcast big news to all of their shareholders in a relatively timely fashion. So the things that they're required to file are they file an annual report, they file quarterly reports, and then when something new and exciting happens, they file something called a current report, which is called Form 8K. Um, and this is, in theory, a way for um, the company to release information to all, all its shareholders. Uh, when I think about like a, you know, an average, like a retail investor, your granny investing, you know, buying some shares of stock to give to you on her birthday, on your birthday or whatever. I'm not really thinking that your granny's logging onto the SEC's website and like looking at all the recent disclosures and like making an informed investment decision, right? But like theoretically, somebody is out there doing that, right? And, and the stock price reflects the fact that all that information is out there and people are incorporating it and buying it and selling it and whatever. So Theoretically, you should get all your information from 8Ks and annual reports and quarterly reports and all of that. When the company announced that it was going to share material information using social media, my my you know not being a Tesla follower like Carlos, my guess is that it was in response to um, the stuff that had happened with like the Netflix stuff that Ben had talked about. So um, Netflix had released some potentially material information via Facebook. And then one potential workaround to that being a problem is just to tell your investors that like Facebook or Twitter is a place where you can get material information about the company. And that kind of like covers the company so that they're not being, you know, they're not getting in trouble for releasing material information places where they're not supposed to release that information. So I think that's based, that must be why they did it is to cover themselves, allowing that Twitter to be like a channel for communication to their shareholders. Yeah. So so I want to I want to jump in with with a like a practical uh, ramification of this uh, as well. Um, but but to illustrate it, I want to I want to go back to the a little bit darker time in U.S. history uh, when uh, Donald Trump was president of the United States. Um, so he would routinely release significant information uh, via Twitter. Now imagine you are a, a professional stock trader, uh, and um, you know the the jobs report that the Department of Labor issues is very important. Uh, you know it sets the tone for the day. Um, you know what what that report says uh, significantly influences the way the market's going to move. Now, 
Um, normally, that report is issued by the Department of Labor at a particular time uh, so that everybody has access to it at the exact same time. Um, and so if you're the trader uh, who's used to this, you are, you're getting up, um, you're having your coffee, you're getting the office, you're logging onto the DOL website, uh, and you're just waiting like everybody else for the order, orderly and regular release of this information. Um, now, suddenly, um, you're, you're getting into the office, and it turns out uh, that the President of the United States has just tweeted out uh, you know, an hour or two before uh, hand uh, what the jobs report says. Uh, and so if you are uh, one of his Twitter followers uh, and you're paying attention to him on social media, suddenly uh, you have an edge over all those other people who were waiting for it to be released through the regular channel. You can go ahead and make a bet uh, before they find out uh, you know, what the numbers are. Now, Practically, what this means is you have to watch the throne. Uh, you can't take your eyes uh, off of what uh, the president was doing. Uh, because if you do, you're going to miss that information. You're going to be at a real disadvantage. Now, if you're a Tesla investor uh, and they're, they've told you they release material information through Twitter, you can't just look at the SEC filings. You really have to watch Elon Musk uh, on Twitter. So you have to follow that channel. That's the practical you know, impact of it. Like it drives everyone to focus more on what's going on. So, so there could be, um, you know, I can see a good business rationale for this. Uh, if I want to be very generous, uh, that the Twitter channel is a very valuable marketing channel. Now uh, you tweet out ads, other things, and they have to watch all these things now because sometimes there's stock information where, you know, beforehand you didn't have to do that. Uh, you could just look at the SEC filings. Uh, so so it's, it's, it's an interesting you know, and kind of new dynamic. Uh, and if companies can force people to pay attention to their social media, they can force them to consume other messages as well. So what's interesting that I found is, you know, pre this announcement, you know, if something like, I don't, I can't think of a corporation that releases an 8K, but then doesn't also release a press release unlike the newswire and everything too, right? So it would be like, you know, 8K drops, press release drops, usually in that order, like it's usually not press release 8K, it's usually 8K that attaches the press release that's going out simultaneously. And so as Ben said, everyone gets the information at the same time. Now with these tweets, what I'm noticing is that tweets go out, oh damn it, that was material. Let's file an 8K after. We already, we already covered ourselves to say that we will tweet material information. Uh, and so it could be material out there. But if it really, really, really is material, then we go ahead and drop an AK that's like, hey, read our tweet. And so what I think is interesting about that is one, you know, it gets to our opening conversation of, well, obviously 420 was a joke. Well, I thought that poll was a joke, but right? Like we <laughs> we're all talking about it. We're all talking about it. We all are rational people who follow the stock market and follow Twitter. Yet we sometimes think it's a joke, but we vote anyway in case it isn't. And then after the fact, we find out it isn't a joke, you know, it's, it's giving them that cushion to like, just play with the information. He totally could have said later, it's a joke. And we'd be like, have, oh, we all, yeah. He could have said a joke, colon. Yeah. But even after the fact, if he said, I obviously I'm not going to sell $10 billion of my shares, right. We'd all be like, okay, yeah, 
That makes sense, right? We totally thought it was a joke. That's why we voted in a poll. It's a poll on Twitter. How could that be real? But it gives them that room to play and like not violate the securities regulations, right? Like they can literally after the fact decide that tweet was material, that one wasn't. And then release a press release in an 8K to follow up with it with some more details. Um, and so that's what kind of bothers me about it. It's like, it's like a total way to just manipulate the system all around. And as Ben said, I've got to like, I follow, I don't own Tesla stock, but I do own a Tesla. Um, so, you know, I'm following them on Twitter for both classroom purposes and like to see if like something I want is on sale. Because <laughs> I can't, I can't just monitor the SEC for class anymore. I've got to monitor Twitter for class and Twitter for my personal consumption as well. Right. Yep. So that's what they've effectively done. They've made yeah. me a total captive audience. So what, what's what's interesting about his stock sales, um, you know, there's there's a there's a there's a challenging problem for corporate executives uh, where if you uh, if you own stock and if you're if you're a CEO and you own stock in the company, you know, normally we we sort of frown on uh, I say for, sort of frown on their insider trading laws uh, that limit a CEO's ability. Say like let's say you're uh, Elon Musk and you get word uh, that there's going to be a recall. Uh, of Tesla cars, uh, and your stock price is at an all-time high, uh, and you want to go ahead and sell some of your stock. If you know the recall notice is going to go out in three days, and people might get upset about that, and the stock price might go down, uh, if you go ahead and sell your stock while you have that information, um, that you know that's probably going to be considered uh, insider trading. Um, so this is a problem for, for all public company executives is, you know, they always know more about the company than anybody else does. Uh, and so how do they ever manage to sell their stock um, when they need to? Sometimes they need to remodel their house. Um, you know, baby needs more diapers, whatever. Um, so, I need a new rocket to space. Yeah, you want to you know, launch a car into space, whatever. Um, pay taxes. Uh, so, you know, there's this system that's set up. It's like it's a you know, 12B, uh, 12B1 plan. Uh, where you can go ahead and declare, you know, say six months in advance, five months in advance, that on this particular date, I'm going to sell uh, this number of shares. If you put that kind of plan in place, then what, what happens essentially is you've made the decision to sell uh, with the information you now have uh, that far in advance. But the idea, as long as the plan is locked in, uh, when that date arrives and the sale is executed according to your old instructions, you know, the information, the value of the information you had when you made that trading decision uh, is supposedly, you know, you know, much attenuated. And so it allows executives to access capital. Uh, so these plans, I'm not, I think, I think they're, you know, sent to the SEC, but I don't believe that they're publicly available. So one thing that will be interesting to, to watch is to see whether or not, uh, you know, Mr. Musk had a trading plan uh, set up well in advance to avoid insider trading liability when he kicked off this poll. Um, it, it, may, think, it may be it that this trade was, was just scheduled. Uh, it was a series of was, trades that were scheduled. I think the 1.3 was scheduled. Like, I think 1.3 billion of it was already scheduled. The rest of it was him tweeting out a poll. I also think like they're not, it's not like you don't, it's interesting. The plans have always been really interesting to me, right? Because you don't, I don't recall, I don't think there is a specified, you don't have to do it in a particular right. time ahead of time, right? And you also, you don't have to sell, like when the time you comes, could you could decide not to. It's like an affirmative defense if you get accused of insider trading to say, like, if someone says like, oh, Ben, you insider traded, you can be like, no, no, I planned this six months ago. Right. But it's not like 
you have, no one's going to make you sell it if you didn't right. want to. So like, you could change your mind. You, yeah. Yeah. You can change your mind. I mean, I always like, when I talk about it in class, I always say to people like, this is like, if you're like, oh, my, my daughter's going to go to law school like next year. So I'm going to have a plan in place to in August of next year to sell some of my stock so that she can, I can write the tuition check. But yeah, I don't know. Um, I guess you would have an affirmative defense for that one point X percent, right? Yeah. yeah. Although I just wonder if, you know, the tweet fixes the insider trading because it's not insider trading. You told all of us you were going to sell your stock. Well, it's one yeah, thing if he's, if he's telling us he's selling the stock. It's another thing if he's telling us there's a recall coming and I'm going to sell my stock. Right. Uh, so Do I, you, I don't, is that I don't insider think... trading? Because he told us that there's going to be a recall. Yeah. Once, once the recall is announced and the market's digested the information, I don't think that's a... You, you're, not really, you're not getting an unfair advantage uh, based on knowing about the recall that nobody else knows about. Yeah. And I don't think the stock, I looked at it and I don't think the stock really reacted much to the recall notice. It was just like, it was a cable, you know, around uh, a backup camera, you know, it's just, they're just fixing a cable. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So if the so, stock, if the stock okay. price doesn't really move, then um, the, the, other, the other thing that's really interesting about this is if you say things that turn out not to be true and the stock price just keeps going up, then nobody's going to sue you. Like, and it's just the wildest thing. Like, you have false statements only get punished when the stock price goes down. Yeah, so here's the interesting yeah. thing about the, here's what's interesting about the Tesla stock price. The Tesla stock price moved more on the announcement of him selling shares than it did on the announcement of the recall. And he actually did sell the shares. That's so, like, yeah, so it's not a false statement at all. Like, he sold the shares. Like, the recall, it like barely budges, which kind of just confirms that, like, his tweets and his antics are doing more to change the price of Tesla than anything that like we tell our students they should care about. Yeah. So we've only got a few minutes to close and I want to close out with the final question. Kathy, should Elon Musk stop tweeting? I mean, for, for my entertainment and uh, class prep reasons, no, I think he should, he should continue. Um, but I think that, and, and also like, if I were to think about investors, I'm not a hundred percent sure that investors would want him to, because like, basically as long as he, his tweets and his personality are giving him more, essentially bringing him more lovers than haters, like that just increase, increases the bottom line. But I guess if I were, uh, if I were Elon's, like if I were Tesla's general counsel, like what would I feel? I think I would probably be refilling my Xanax prescription pretty often. Uh, so maybe if, maybe that person would want him to stop tweeting. Um, so if, if I'm Tesla's board of directors, um, you know, I would, I would want more controls uh, on the tweeting, but I probably wouldn't want him to stop. Um, at the same, as long as he has a lot of money, I'd feel okay with it. Uh, because I don't think they can get insurance anymore. Uh, so he has to be the one who personally insures, uh, the board of directors. I don't, I don't think, uh, other companies are willing to write insurance, uh, because they think it's just too much of an unpredictable risk. Um, so so if you, as long as you can keep that risk under control, um, you, he's, he's done a great job uh, whipping up a large base of fanboys uh, who buy the stock. And as long as that keeps going, uh, you know, it, it, it allows them to, to raise capital in very favorable terms. So I kind of take Kathy's perspective. I don't want him to stop tweeting because I want to keep writing papers about how he screws things up. Um, and I, I am very, very selfish about like 
like loving that I get, I have an Elon Musk alert set and I never know what's going to happen and what's going to like go in the case book or what's going to go in the article. Very exciting. Very exciting. Well, I'm going to thank my guests. Thank you, Kathy and Ben. And what's crazy is this is how we talk all the time. Like these are our texts, like, oh my God, what's Elon Musk doing? So we don't lead the most exciting lives as law professors. We talk about security. Talk about this is extremely exciting. (laughs) Yes. This is what we do all the time. This is like my group text thread. So I was excited to be able to get my group text friends on the show. So on next week's show, I am having India Thussey and we are going to talk about her book, which is coming out, which is Policing Bodies, Law, Sex, Work, and Desire in Johannesburg. And on that episode, we are going to discuss, is it time to legalize sex work? So a very, very exciting topic. We're going to talk already about legal the- in Nevada. Already legal in Nevada, not so much in Johannesburg. And, you know, she talks a lot about the foster care disciplinary system to sex work pipeline for girls, which is kind of like the school to prison pipeline for boys. So that's what we're going to discuss next week. Thank you all for listening to the show. Um, I am at Carla C on all platforms. Uh, please join us next week. And if you ever miss the show, you can find us on everywhere that podcasts are broadcast. Thanks again. Thanks so much. Bye, y'all. Thank you for tuning in to Getting Common with Professor Carlos Chapman. Please join us again next Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another thoughtful discussion.